study from Paul J. Zak compared people at low trust companies and people at high trust companies. People at high trust companies reported 74% less stress, 106% more energy at work, 50% higher productivity, 13% fewer sick days, 76% more engagement, 29% more satisfaction with their lives, and 40% less burnout. When are you going to put trust at the centre of your business? Merry Christmas! My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast episode 11. Thank you for joining us as we explore the good, the bad and the ugly behaviour of bosses. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. I promised I would bring you guests from a variety of industries and so it will be with my guest this month. David Gilna, aka the Irish playwright, writes for a living. He has three successful plays under his belt and is working on his next commission at the moment. I first met David last year and was struck by his professionalism and his approach to the arts world. Being a playwright isn't a normal career path, so I sat down this week with David and asked him about what it takes to be a successful playwright and what lessons we can learn from his industry. Hello David, you're very welcome to the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast on this fine winter's evening for our Christmas special no less. <laughs> Thanks for having us on the show. Stephen, always a pleasure. Uh, we're, we're, we're back in swords this time, this is uh, twice in a row for swords, it, it seems to be the mecca as you call it. I'm telling you, this place is magical. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I've, I've, been, I've been looking to, to talk to you for a long time now um, because your career is unique in, uh, in the sense that for normal people, it's fairly unique, I would say. You are a playwright. Yes. That, that's your bread and butter. Yes. One of many creative uh, streams. <laughs> yeah. So uh, bring us back to the very beginning. How on earth did you get to be a playwright at by the way, just to give context, this is uh, uh, an audio medium. What age are you now, David, um, if you don't mind sharing? I am 35. 35. A young lad and you're uh, a successful playwright. So how, how do you get to be so young uh, and have such success at such a young age in, uh, in what we all think of? You know, because we all think of, oh, you oh, know, uh, Sean O'Casey and Brendan, Brendan Behan. Yeah, yeah. We all think of these owl lads. Uh, and here you are actually doing it doing it at such a young age. Tell us where it began and how did you get to here? Um, well, I started acting as a young age. Um, local competitions um, in school. Uh, I joined the National Performing Arts School. Uh, that was in town, ran by Jill Doyle and Eamon Farrell, who I actually you know, still work with today. And um, there was a talent competition in the Brackenstown, um, my local parish. I did a kind of sketch uh, on the river dance. And we won the competition, and I met a guy from RT. What age were you at this stage? I was about seven. Right. Yeah, uh, we did. Uh, we did a sketch on the river dance and Gene Butler, like the Young Hoppers, inspired by the variety shows from the past. And we won the competition. And Val Keating worked in RT at the time, and he approached me, and my, be- my best friend, and he just said, "Look, you guys have something. You should keep this up because we rehearsed like like after school, seven days a week. Like we're really focused. Um, yeah. We were called. Uh, Dumb forgettables, inspired <laughs> by the unbelievables. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then I realised that let's say the art world was. I was drawn to it. I started going to the factory, a place in town, every weekend, dancing, acting, singing, and then I started to get work professionally from a young age in RTE, uh, radio plays, commercials, um, television roles. So I saw it as a hobby, and then. I decided that I was going to study um, acting in college and then I had an accident and when I had an accident I was in hospital for a long period of time and one of the uh, specialists has said to me you know should you use writing as a form of therapy you know um, so I was like, at the time I was technically I was paralyzed from the neck down um, for a short period of time in my life so this is I, at what age? Uh, I was only 18 right so that was a real life changing moment for me um, I had worked on a film, uh, Dawn of the Dead, with Zack Snyder. I was in Toronto. Um, I was working with a great set designer, a guy called Steve Suchuk. Um, I had offers of uh, film deals. So, like, my career was in the right direction with the right people behind me. And then in an instant, that was all over for me. Yeah. Uh, so, say, the Hollywood dream came to an end 
quite abrupt. So I started to write. I started to write every day. Write about my experience, my recovery. Um, you know, when you're 18 and you think that you can live forever. And then in an instant, your life can be taken from you. Um, I was lucky that I'm walking again, or even I was given a second chance. So what it did for me... Let me ask him what happened. Um, no, give yeah, us, I give was... Give the, the headlines. Yeah, I was actually struck by lightning, um, believe it or not, on a balcony on a J1 visa in South Boston. Um, when lightning strikes on a sunny day, um, it's called out of the blue. It's that expression, right. you know, yes, oh, yeah. uh, I was struck by lightning, uh, hit my right hand, earthed out on my left foot, um, I burned from the inside out. I was in a coma. Dur- this was during the day? This was just during the day, uh, the Friday before July 4th weekend. And that was a life that kind of inspired m- me as a writer. Basically, from that moment on, I write, I've, I've been writing every day since the moment I was hit by lightning, when I and got out of the coma. You were in a coma for how long? I was in a coma on and off for a long period of time. But for me, is that uh, it was a specialist who said to me, you know, because as an 18 year old to like I died for three minutes and 42 seconds, you know, so it was actually pronounced. Dead. That's a personal best. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but humor, trust me, humor is a, the best form of medicine. So basically I started to write every day from that moment. So the lightning kind of sparked my career as a writer. So that's how getting back to the original question was how did I start as a writer was from the moment I had mm, struck by lightning. I haven't stopped writing every day. Yeah, and, and what was it, you know, did you write about that experience first or did you write I'd, about other things that were no, happening? No, I just had to write about ideas I had for shows or concepts because I, I came from a theatrical background. I studied in college, got a degree in theatre studies. So, uh, but what happened was it just ideas and, uh, and concepts and, and themes and poetry. And it was just writing like every day, what yeah. I went through, the dreams that I imagined in my subconscious when I was in a coma. Then I started to piece everything together, things that were said to me when people visited me, and I just started to kind of map this world. And uh, then I wrote a letter to everybody in my family at Christmas when I came back, what they meant to me, like each person individually, because you know I have a lot of time to reflect. And then I never talked about the accident until four years later. I wrote a play about it. I got a group of friends. Uh, I was doing a, I was doing a show in Letterkenny on the Grion Theatre, and I was based there for six months doing rep theatre and pantomime. And I started to write this play. That's when the idea came back because it was staying in this beautiful house in Letterkenny on my own. I just started to write um, and reams of paper, and then this stem of an idea about my play and my story. And then when people found out it was a true story. Hmm. That was the real big seller and pitch. Got a group of actors, friends together, director, and we. I trialed the show in the Samuel Beckett in Trinity College. Um, went really well. And then the new theatre in Tampa Bar took the play on during the summer. Play just did fantastic review-wise. It connected with people because... What was of the name of the play? It was called... The original play was actually called Five Nights. Five nights. Really bad night for titles. Five <laughs> nights in the intensive care unit. That's the kind of <laughs> so bad. But uh, um, from that, then I met a guy called Charles O'Brien, who is the um, managing marketing for uh, Fawcett Circus in Ireland. He's uh, yeah, right. and he said, "Have you ever t- toured with the National Circus?" And I was like, "No." He said, would you like to meet Fawcett Circus? I was like, okay. I met Fawcett Circus. Do you have these images of elephants, elephants and lions and tigers? How am I going to work yeah. this into the play? So I uh, had a great meeting with Charles. Uh, funny enough, this is a great question. He says to me, what do you want to do in the arts? And I looked at him dead in the eye and said, I want to make money. And that's when we, him, him, me and him became really good friends. Because that's, <laughs> like, you know, that's the, what he wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, he then took me to meet a fantastic guy, a uh, guy called uh, Johnny Reynolds who founded um, Electric Picnic. Yeah. Um, myself, Charles, and Johnny Reynolds then uh, co-created Theatre Under the Big Top, which was theatre mm. in Fawcett Circus at a boutique festival. And the play went on. It was the first play ever staged in the festival. And then from there, it kind of just uh, went on this incredible run. I met a guy called Ray Yates, who was the then, at the time, the director of the Axis Theatre in Ballymun. And I'd worked with Ray four years ago as an assistant stage manager for an amazing writer called Dermot Bulger in Ballymone with an incredible uh, cast of actors. Um, so I was, 
I was learning even back then as an assistant stage manager, the mechanics behind the theatre, watching the actors, Dermot Bulger, an incredible writer, Ray Yates, an amazing director who spent a lot of time in Broadway. And I got to work with these guys. So then four years later, um, Ray's sitting beside me opposite table and says, I want you to take you out to the Axis Theatre. So he gave me a residence, he gave me a placement in a theatre. Uh, it's like 270 theatre it's incredible people um, Mark and Eve and the creative team that were there the marketing team really got behind this play and then Ray directed the, the play and um, we didn't really know what we were doing we were just young we were taking chances um, same play the lightning play made a few changes and uh, I called the play uh, The Gift of Lightning changed the name of the play and Bridgie de Corsi uh, who's the executive producer of Fair City, came to see the play. And I didn't put my name on the program as the writer because I wasn't as right. confident Why? back then. Yeah. Right. So okay. I wasn't really confident as I wouldn't, I didn't see myself as a playwright or a writer. So the, the, the play was on, had, had been on actually yeah. a, a my few name, times at yeah. this stage. And the, the lack of confidence? Yeah, the lack of confidence in my belief as a writer. And then she just asked Ray, said, who wrote the play? And he said, that fell over there. She goes, why didn't you not put your name on the show? And I was like, oh, just, you know, it's, it is what it is. Is that, is that a very Irish thing? Probably, you know, kind of like, yeah. Ah, duh, nothing. Yeah. Nothing sure I was done. Knock that up on the way here. So what she did was <laughs> uh, she uh, brought me into Fair City and I became a writer for the show. Wow. No experience. Uh, what age are you at this stage? Uh, very early 20s. Wow. And I got to work in television and it was an amazing experience. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, right. Because what's, w- what's the what's the non-enjoyable part part of? I was of, a young fella for a soap. I was a young fella thrown into a world that I had no like. It's a it's painting by numbers. It's a machine. It's the timelines. It's deadlines. It's pressure. And then you're thrown into a writing room where you're a young fella, carefree, and you're taking people's livelihood. So there was a mix up and a change. But don't forget, like you know, at the time there would have been big commissions for writers, and I was thrown into the deep end with no experience mm. but I kind of got what Bridgie did it and it makes sense you know what I mean because it keeps people on their toes um, and I learned uh, so were you were you there to to, to uh, maybe challenge the other writers a little bit gently yeah because I, had, I don't know how, what structure I'm just coming in why can't we do this or why can't we yes, do that yeah. scene and I don't know nothing about budget I don't know about what different contracts actors have why can't we write this scene the way it should be written or why can't we you know so it was really yeah. uh, fiery am as an individual is, is, is there a lot of uh, is there a lot of rivalry between writers in that situation? Because you I, all want to get your bits on the show, I'm assuming. To me, I didn't really care. That's if the truth be told. I think yeah. maybe because I was so ah, oh, this is great, this is exciting. Uh, at the time I was writing the show, ten of my friends uh, lost their jobs, so that was another thing. I knew people were going to lose their job contractually. I couldn't tell them. So yeah. when an actor goes on a the journey, these people had mortgages, they had kids, yeah, and I knew they were going to be cut from the show. So that was horrible, um, but that's life, it's a learning curve. So then, at the time, the Chris Evans really inspired me as, as a creative writer. Uh, um, one with the red hair on the radio, uh, Don't Forget Your Two Push was a yes. show. Yeah. He was inspired by Noel Edmonds, and I was inspired by that kind of variety, okay, yeah. that kind of variety, that fun house, remember the show Fun House as well? Yes, yeah. So... Mullets uh, were all the rage. Yeah, and then uh, his show on a Friday night, which was called um, TGI Fridays. T- T- TFI Friday. TFI, yeah. Yeah, TFI Friday. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so uh, I wanted to do a show called The Friday Night Lock-In, which was a live variety show uh, set in a pub or a nightclub in Dublin. Um, met Steve Cooper, who was a DJ at the time for 98FM, because he was let go, moved to iRadio, and now he's back doing the morning show. Yeah. Um, so met with Steve Cooper Lee Arnold at the time was an actress in the clinic and uh, what we did was we came together we wrote this concept got a team of people got sponsorship shot it in nightclub in Dublin in Crystal and we had live bands uh, celebrity guests we played games quizzes uh, we built a bedroom set and then pitched this show for a Saturday night special in forty. Yeah. Now, at the time, I'm probably 23, and I've put on my own pilot without getting BAI funding, and I just did it yeah. with a group of creative people. Submitted it to RTE, and the press started to pick up on it, because it was a re- anyone who was at that 
that live experience it was an amazing atmosphere now someone actually rang me up and told me to stop promoting it i wasn't i always say if your show does well it's this organic press that you get it's the word of mouth and this have you seen this this pilot this is fantastic we should be doing this and uh, i got this letter off rt said that uh we were shortlisted but it went to the brendan o'connor remember brendan o'connor brendan o'connor yes but i submitted for and i didn't didn't have a clue i didn't get a producer involved i just made it and so that was my first kind of uh, venture into like Saturday formats. Yeah. Luckily that I was in RT working, and then I got funding to to write a short film because I'd lost a lot of friends to suicide. Yeah. Um, about I'd say I lost a few friends to suicide, so I wanted to write a short film. Got funding to write a short film. Didn't really know much about film at the time. Where, where does this funding come from? Uh, do you apply oh, so like, for it? Do you apply for it. So there's like yeah. different grants, different councils, arts council, or your local, you know, uh, grant. Then there's private investment. Um, and anybody can apply for this funding. Anybody, yeah. yeah. And also there's like private investment too. Um, Alan Clancy, um, uh, amazing publican. Um, Brian Whitehead, who used to run the Olympia Theatre, who now manages Pitch of This. They were two big investors. Right. And Niall McCrudden, um, sadly, who passed away. Um, these were all investors. So I got a director in a guy called Glenn Gannon. Um, Glenn was an actor I trained with, but his story is um, he was homeless in the streets of Dublin for three years, and he wrote a book about it at the moment that's out, and he's got a film coming out about that book. But I wanted his vision, especially for a man who lived on the streets in Dublin. Hmm. I got loads of musicians involved. Well. I love music. So Aslan, Paul Brady, Shea Healy, uh, Mahoney, Paul Toll, uh, the uh, brilliant things. Had all these amazing musicians giving music for the short film and didn't really know anything about producing or uh, on, on that scale. But like mm. all things, I just... Give it a go. Gave it a go. Yeah. Short film, did really well. Um, won loads of awards. And that's when I decided I've wrote for the National Soap, Tick Box. Yeah. Tried to make an entertainment show on a Saturday night spot, which was never going to happen. But I made it. Tick box. Then I got funded from my first short film. So I said, I've done everything I can do. It's time for me to, to go to London, to kind of crack it as a playwright in London. And I went over. Uh, I got a job uh, managing a bar in, in London. And uh, in the King's Arms, it was called. Ran by an Irish family, the McElhennies. And it's in the... The, the theatre district right beside the National Theatre right beside the Young Vic the Old Vic so you were surrounding yourself in the right environment anyway. yeah and it was uh, met all the incredible actors producers clientele and a new theatre was going to open up around the corner and I banged on that door seven days a week and his name was Gerald Arman and Gerald uh, produced the play Tom Crean oh yeah he put that together Arctic Explorer yeah, with Aidan Dooley and uh, one of the co-owners of the theatre was Pat Moylan who uh, was um, Lane Productions, and she had, um, trying to think of the name of the theatre she owned, uh, Andrews Lane, she owned Andrews Lane, and then she was head of the Arts Council. So she she had cast me in in a play many years ago, she gave me a reference when I went over to London, and then Gerald finally said to me, okay, will you stop knocking on my door? And he met me, I gave him my play, and he loved it. And he staged the play then on in London. Yeah. So then that was my, that would have been 2010, 11. And my play uh, got staged in London, um, directed by a guy called Conal Kearney, because um, Ray Yates was doing a play in, in, in Broadway at the time. Conal was Colin Farrell's acting coach. He was my acting coach, and I met him through Jill Doyle and Eamon Farrell, who owned the National Performing Arts School. Conal came in, came from Galway. We rehearsed in, in Ballymun in the Axis, got funding privately uh, um, from the public sector, and uh, did a raffle in the local pub. <laughs> and uh, all the actors and crew flew over to uh, London. Play went down for a month, and we got one five-star review in The Guardian. That changed wow. everything for me. Now, the play was panned or five star reviews and the play sold out for a month it was called it was called The Gift of Lightning oh this was The Gift of Lightning yeah Okay. and then uh, it just started to uh, loads of celebrities started to go and word got out and um, 
a lot of producers came to see the play and then I was offered a deal to, to sell the rights of my play to be adapted into a feature film and I thought it was a joke I said good luck you know because um, that's that, that, that's a bit of a holy grail because I yeah. mean that's what you call kind of w- uh, wealth creation you don't have to do anything and it's making money for you so what happened was yeah I signed on the, the dotted line so I, I got paid um, I got paid as a young Irish playwright for the rights of that play to be adapted into a feature film and then that opened my world into the world of selling options and formats and I sold quite a lot over those number of years but I learned so much because I was had no experience in the world of film. Mm. I had no idea about intellectual property. I had no idea about the right solicitor. Your uh, the, the the importance of of words in a contract. I love contracts now. I absolutely you know excuse <laughs> language gives me a horn. You know I get really excited. Um, I love contracts because they'll never tell you. No producer will ever tell you get a good solicitor. You know. Yeah, and trust me, like the amount of people who try to, I've just learned so much that I have to say it's been an amazing experience because the one, if anyone's writing out there, just make sure you have a good solicitor, and you have to know your own stuff too, and know your own law, and be a member of a good guild, and the Irish Playwright and Screenwriters Guild are fantastic here, but I love it. Contracts are so important, mm. so that kind of brought me into film, and then. I think I really cut my teeth as a playwright. I, I was going to... A friend of mine died in front of me in, in London. I was doing a show in the West End. And uh, the play was finished on the Sunday. And my friend died in front of me on the Saturday. Um, so, like, at the pinnacle, uh, an actor and a playwright in the West End. And then, you know, same year, I was commissioned to write... A, 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 a sold options for, for other ideas. So I was on the top, of, you would say, from the outside. Then my kind of world came crashing down. So I kind of locked myself in in, 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 my, in my house. And I wrote, just kept on writing every day on the walls, everything. And a play kind of formed called My Bedsit Window, mm. which is about this young person traveling to London, to America, to kind of uh, to chase their dreams. And yeah. that's what I did. And a guy called Carol Shields, who sadly passed away this year. Um, Carol Shields is an amazing mm. actor and he ran the theater upstairs with Laura Honan. And he loved it. He loved it. The idea gave me a, a break in Dublin. So I've been away for years. I come back. People haven't seen me since my first experimental play. And then um, my mm. bedsit window was my bedsit window was staged in 2014. Yeah, and. Uh, did fantastic uh, reviews and Ray Yates came to see the play who I worked with in Ballymun and uh, he was a great mentor and supporter of mine and uh, I was then uh, funded by Dublin City Council to develop a play about 1916 2016 right, yeah. commemorations and I had a personal contact was that my godmother's uh, grandfather was Michael Joseph O'Reilly who co-founded the um, Irish Volunteers and the family had given me all their personal letters and notes for research to be able to develop this play so I did research on that play for two years right? and then that play opened up again in the theatre upstairs in 2016 and both those plays My Bed's at Window and The Unsung Hero have been on tour since then um, and I believe that My Bets at Window is a great story for anyone starting out in acting or writing it's a real I talk about the film world TV yeah. world yeah the acting world and uh, The Unsung Hero I think is where you know was my PhD let's say yeah uh, two years of research uh, and the play just uh, most critically acclaimed play would be The Unsung Hero because I just wrote it as a love story between these two amazing people who sacrificed so much for freedom you yeah. know amazing characters so so that led me up to a point now where I've been commissioned by Fingal County Council and Creative Ireland um, to develop my new play which is One for the Ditch and it's um, 
I'm writing it from the point of view as the young guy I was when I went to London with all these dreams and hopes. And I met so many amazing actors who were living in bedsits and had all the success. But they were they were just living off the social welfare and their only point of contact was with me in the pub. And yet they'd been in Broadway, the West End, they'd won Olivier Awards and some of them you know, became uh, uh, fallen off the wayside. Like, I mean, that's an incredible journey. It it seems to me that it was the play, the unsung hero, the the you know, from the period of 2014 to 2016, where you kind of have embedded in the the normal structure of 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 the playwright. With yeah. it, before that, there was it was a little bit haphazard. You were you were you were feeling your way around, but you really kind of you got into the. Actually, this is yeah. this is the normal structure. Once it hit it, well, I always hero. wanted to tell. I knew I always wanted to tell that story because um, my godmother's father, you know, Aegon would I'd sit in his lap and he'd tell me stories about his father and his father died when he was ten and what he did for Ireland. So I was like, okay. And then I had this personal relationship, this family relationship, and then when Dublin City Council were getting ready for and the country was getting ready for the centenary celebrations of two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. They, I was, I was then uh, funded to research. So uh, this, this amazing connection I had, I researched it for two years. It was in the library every day, and um, it was an amazing rabbit hole to fall down because I love history anyway. Mm. And then at the end of that, I had, a, I wrote a thesis, you know, submitted the thesis, uh, and then after the review on that, they said, "Wow, like I, they decided this is fantastic. We would love to commission you to." to write a play about your, uh, kind of like uh, on your thesis it's no yeah. problem um, I uh, then I started to write let's say 7,000 words a week you know uh, then for let's say two months 7,000 words a week yeah so that's you know just to put that into context that's a, a college paper a week yeah you're throwing out there yeah that's what we literally um, and then so I was working with uh, director uh, Michael Scott um, in my in my head, you see, uh, from a writing point of view, I knew the actor I always wanted to play, O'Reilly, which was a guy called Conor Delaney. I worked with him as an actor. He's about six foot six, phenomenal stage presence, and he embodied everything that I felt O'Reilly was. Yeah. So we signed him up to the project as I was writing the project. So in my mind, I had a, a mm. vision of the actor. Then Michael cast uh, Rosanna Purcell. Um, and um, the play opened up in March 2016 and it's been on tour ever since translated into nine languages wow and what's only a bit of uh, news um, it is going to be adapted into a uh, screenplay cool don't start writing that until September 2020 with my writing partner Frank Allen but yeah Rattley is going to be made into a feature film The Unsung Hero The Unsung Hero be, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just basically a beautiful love story and I absolutely and you're writing in a different text to the way I speak or we speak you yeah. know it's a different world you know what I mean Yeah. so I was just reading accounts and witness statements and you know uh, I was just thrown into this incredible world. I didn't want to be too heavy on the history. You know, I wanted there still to be, you know, people to be invested in the story. And I wanted to yeah. get that right balance between nuggets of information. And and the play went so well, I was actually offered a commission to write a play on the War of Independence. But I did, didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, because the like, I, I really, look, the unsung hero is going to be in America next year. Um, uh, played in different states. And I could bring the play back every, you know, Easter if I wanted to. But yes. I wanted to step back. I just took a step back from here yeah. and decided, no, this, I'll bring that play back for Easter. I would gladly do it, but I just wanted to let the play settle, put it on the shelf, because I'm going to come back to it. Because Aidan Harney is a great coach, actually, Aidan Harney, um, but he was an amazing playwright. And Aidan Harney always told me, when you go back to, to your original play, you know, you're not a writer unless you edit re-edit right the idea is okay. never settle never settle Aiden was a Aiden Harney was a great support to me starting out um, I'll give you his details actually uh, after the podcast but um, he was always telling me like you know, let it 
let it sit in the shelf, come back to it. Can you make yeah. it better? What would you like to add? Um, it's it's that idea of procrastination. There's creativity and procrastination in the sense that, you know what I mean? A lot of people, you know, the corporate world, which is, you know, the one I inhabit most of the time, you know, it's deadlines, 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 move on. But in the creative world, what you want to do is is leave time for things to stew leave time to things yeah. to surface and and that's you know the the creativity of procrastination but as well then that, what, you what, know there's still deadlines by the way but then what people <laughs> suffer is uh, it the entertainment is called the ent- it's called show business yeah 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 and there's a lot of money to be made and i think where artists suffer is they don't value their own worth yeah and i think that's where you know when charles met me in 2008 and he said what do you want to do in the arts i said i want to make money mm. i was very focused that I wanted to make money and a living from my passion and my talent. And I think some artists can suffer from being uh, drip fed crumbs when they're Which what's the hierarchy of uh what's the hierarchy of, of needs for you in terms of uh you know, being valued and paid for it to do an interesting work, if that makes sense, from that you know, that, that tension of artist versus businessman. Two, well it's, it's two things. I've established myself as a playwright now because of my last two plays and what happens is that can never be taken from me so my agent put it best in London she took me out for dinner we were in um, the Ivy in London and she said to me I was worried about writing this this new commission was coming down the tracks and she says to me David one day you will write a really bad play (laughs) but you can still write a play and that's when it was a real penny drop moment okay you're not going to hit a home run every time. Yeah. You're going to write something that's awful. And I'll tell you it's awful. But that's... Just, so she was trying to get that out of my head. Yeah, you yeah. Know, oh, this has to be perfect. This has to be amazing, of course. And another great guy was a producer, Donald Shields. Donald Shields, an uh, incredible theatre producer, said to me, David, think about the audience and think about the person who pays a ticket to go see your show. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice, Donald. So these people who come see my bed's at window the unsung hero they're all gonna come see one for the ditch I've built a relationship with them you know what I mean they're following my career but I value their hard earned crust to pay money to see my show I'm yeah. invested in them because they're invested in me um, so but going back to the original question was um, because I'm confident I've established myself um, an artist doesn't really true they don't really care we don't really care about money Mm. Yeah, I've never really wanted the fancy car. I've never, but I live a, I like to live a good life. So I like to travel. I like to drink. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Brendan Bean. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, yeah, my goals will be driven on my projects rather than my castle. You know. Yeah, I'm so yeah. confident in my own ability and my own work that that will provide for for my family and what I need after that. That's that crazy blind rage and ambition. You know, just throw myself in and projects and yeah. just think it is going to happen. You know, I mean, it's amazing to see that confidence now versus the guy who didn't put his name on the play. Yeah, yeah. The first, that's why. The funny thing is, I nearly didn't get a writing contract with RT because my name wasn't. She could have just left. But yeah. Derville, fairness to her, she hadn't asked that question. No, pivotal uh, moment. Yeah, uh, Bridget, of course, you should have say. Uh, you know, that was a huge, uh, yeah, huge moment. She could have just left, but she didn't. She asked she, who wrote the play. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's amazing these these little moments in careers that actually make such a big difference. Now, would I ever put the original play on again? Never. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So edits required. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would I re-edit it going forward? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I'd never put the original play on again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that that's good that you're uh, uh, self-critical in a positive way <laughs> oh, from yeah, a growth yeah, yeah. from a growth perspective. No, no, no. I wouldn't. For the people who've supported all my plays, you know, for the last let's say four or five years, I wouldn't impose that to them. But it's yeah, f- yeah, just funny, you know, because it's trial and error. You learn, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you, you've obviously you're very principled in what you want to, uh, how you want to come across in the industry as well. But you know, in the in that 2014 2016, they're paying you to research. So how does that work? Do they pay you? Is it like building a house where you get certain yeah, so installments? Yeah, so basically you get paid uh, half up front, half on completion. You know what I mean? And that's right. that's a one that's a one tick box, or where you're going to get paid for the production, paid for the staging, or paid for the commission. So, like all grants, you know, can I? 
they're yeah. not going to give you the money up front it's kind of yeah. like you know here's half so you can li- live off yeah. you're not going to mean this can be your full time job and, and can you live off it if, 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 if it's a decent commission can you or do you have, still have to work the bars or do you still have no, to no, do I, I work full time in the arts now but what I do is balance so basically so what do I have now I've got a film script going into production in the new year I've got a commission to write a play I got funds I'm going on tour around America I'm balancing five different projects at the moment that provides my lifestyle and they and they like so you talked about options earlier on so do they pay you for the option on the script you so know like, yeah there's certain projects now like with my agent that I get paid um, a an option fee on different projects that money would come in so like yeah so you, you create a lot of content and yeah. hopefully you sell that content and then on the back of that content comes residual payments becomes option payments so yeah that's what's the hit rate of things written versus things realised either on stage or on, on, on film oh look it's very bleak let's put a frank talking figures uh, 95% of people uh, let's say of actors are unemployed in this country yeah. so if you take the top echelant of playwrights even the people who I like uh, yeah, Enda Walsh's you know the incredible writers that we have out there um, how many people actually make a living from alone on playwriting maybe one percent it's like the actors in hollywood but how many people make a living from creative writing throughout the year a lot more a a higher percentage so i'm just not i'm getting paid off writing for tv radio film you know um so it's i've got a few different revenue streams from creative writing from the pen and paper a lot of people find it hard to fill out the blank page i don't yeah yeah you, you're you're able to uh, I mean the the pen and paper is that how you do it actually yeah or do you use you don't you don't use a laptop pen and paper or? no pen and paper and then well, I go go to the laptop yeah pen and paper always and then transfer to the laptop and so do you have mounds of notebooks or what oh, do you yeah, work I keep every single one yeah and and is it indexed in your brain do you know where to go if there was oh I know I had an idea on this well right now like before we did this podcast today I was writing the structure of the new play that I got commissioned to write one for the ditch the characters that I want to do the step outline but in my head I'm thinking about every day at night time thinking about the characters the world the sounds the smells the Mm. you know so like you do you have to the first plays let's say I just wrote just yeah there was no step outline there was no master plan on the wall you just go for it now I'm like okay if you get that urge go for it you know you write leave it come back to it never keep on re-editing your work throughout the day because you won't yeah you so you kind of try and get it to the end and then then go back then come back to so it so you're creating a scaffold exactly yeah. and uh, and uh, by the way the this year I worked with an incredible writer a guy called Frank Allen an amazing playwright and screenwriter and I was very cautious about working with other writers again had experience in the past and um, that's why contracts are so important and frank has supported all of my plays yeah. and i was i had this opportunity to develop a film and i approached frank you know frank and i was like 30 30 odd years between us and we just struck up this incredible working writing relationship and i want to be working with frank now for the next few years because it was just fantastic hit all the notes and um, we were structured we were focused I'd always deliver, he'd always deliver, you know, it was just perfect harmony. It's one thing I noticed about you, David, in the time that I've known you actually is you're, you're, you span the generations in, in, in the people you work with. I mean, you work with kind of 19 year olds who are just emerging onto the scene or, or, and, yeah. and people who have kind of retired essentially, you yeah. know, who are just giving back. You, you, you interact with a huge range of people, diverse range of people, you know, people, you, you, you seem to seek out different types of people to to, well, to get that opportunity. Is it, what what do you think is in that for you? Well, it's about you know I've worked for so many different producers and directors over the years that I've realised what style I like, and it's building the right creative team, people around you. You have to have the right people behind you. Over the last couple of years, I have the right people behind me, and that has changed my career. Um dramatically prime example Paul Reed, who's now the chief executive of the HSE Paul and I were at loggerheads when he took over Fingal County Council and I was 
came back and I was like, it's a disgrace that Soros hasn't got a theatre. What's happening? Yeah. Did, I did a press release and he called me up. He called me on it. So I'm, I'm the new chief executive. You're talking a big game. Come into my office. And I did. And I've been working with, I worked with Paul for four years. I was the first play to launch the atrium space in Fingal County Council um, for the 2016 commemorations. I was the first play to launch Swords Castle. Um, yeah, I've an been amazing venue. Uh, working with Paul and the, and the, the whole team in Fingal County Council, the events team, um, the arts team, uh, Swords Cultural Quarter. We're going to have a theatre and a new library in this village over the next 10 years. And I'm a part of that. Um, but Paul was another mentor. Someone who said, okay, here's a budget, deliver. And it's just like, you know, the carrot and the string. And I'm very focused individual because I've built the right people. I've taken people along with me for the journey. Mm. I'll never do that again. Yeah, yeah. Some people just, you know, if, if you learn. They, they like to talk a big game. They like to drop names. But when it comes to work ethic, yeah. drive, no, no, no. I'll smoke and mirrors. They'll be there for the opening night and the press night and they'll be plumazing you. But at the end of the day, you just really focus about who's in your team and who's in your circle. And I've yeah. built a really strong team. And that team is getting stronger because I look for the strengths in people that I can, I like to champion the people. I like to champion new talent. I like to champion um, all walks of life because I love to put a fire under people. Mm. We've got a project, um, you know, we're all, it's all together. You know, we all lead together, you know, and you have to trust people to leave people do what they do best. Yeah. You can't micromanage. Some people like to, and especially in the film ministry, dictate, uh, tell people what to do, control everything. You can't control everything. You have to yeah, believe in yeah. other people's abilities. And that's a huge bonus for, to what I do. Yeah. So move, move, this is the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. I mean, you've talked about some amazing people that you know have had a, a massive influence on your career. Wh- what is a boss for a playwright? Who who are the bosses? It seems that there's you interact with a huge amount of different things, whether it be producers yeah, or like stage managers producer. or commissioners. So or you've got two things. You've got to look at one, wherever the money's coming from, yeah. right? Okay, the dollars comes first. Yeah. Secondly, who is going to direct that vision? So you have a, a vision as a writer. Some playwrights, like Enda, Enda Walsh, uh, who works with Killian Murphy a lot, directs his own work. Yeah. I'm very happy to let other people direct my work. You have to find that right vision. So there'll be three, let's say, in the sense of the government body, where the money's come from, okay. whether it's public or private, the director who's taken over the vision. Um, and there would be the two kind of, the three, government, director, producer. They're the three kind of... Bosses. Yeah. And and what would you say is the worst type of boss that you've had over the period of the last, you know, 15 years oh, or so ego, in this business? Ego to me. Ego kills me. Um ego people's egos get in the way of how does that manifest itself in the in the playwright world um well if you sit there and talk about yourself all day long and how great you are is that going to help the actors or is that going to help the project if you are um going to be producer by by name by star as in you want to put your name behind on the poster but you're not actually going to do all the work to make it happen you know right you don't get the right reviews you don't get the right press you don't get the right um environment for the actors to be able to perform to be able to because at the end of the day it's your name on the chopping board so be so careful who you pick and yeah. I've worked with people who are just so ego driven about themselves and then people who complain about why this didn't happen or they're so angry at the world for not getting the breaks get over it yeah, you know? yeah. concentrate on the project at hand mm. and let's focus on making that the best Conal Kearney was a great uh, director and coach he said to me this has to be the best play it can be that we believe in before we let it go on stage that was another great I was like I knew what he meant was that nobody can tell us about what we believe in this play what do we think of it right now in this room as actors playwrights producers and directors do we believe it's the best it can be yes well then who cares what anyone else thinks are we yeah. all happy yes we are if we're not happy let's keep on grinding at it and that was something that yeah. left me some people will like your work, some people don't like your work. That's okay. I hate three star reviews. I'd rather one star or five star. Right, okay, yeah, Marmite. Yeah, what's your play? You, you want to love it or hate yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you can't be for everybody. God, no. Yeah, like I know my dad kind of go, oh, I hate one man plays. 
and he just has this thing just I don't like one man plays yeah but one man plays you know they're quite they're quite uh, cheap to produce <laughs> yeah yeah which is why they're so popular I yeah, reckon yeah, yeah. in a lot of a lot of cases but no I'm just yeah, yeah no. I can get I can get where he's coming from he, he likes the ensemble he likes my, the interaction between people and that my now, first per- personally I love a good one man I love I love spending an hour and a half yeah with somebody who's able to capture my attention I just think that's a that's a, a an amazing skill to have from the writing and well, the performance my point of view. first play had 16 actors 16 yeah and a profit share oh. uh, so yeah there was no money made uh, <laughs> so yeah so you, when you're young you dream big and you want the big yeah. sets and the, you know, <laughs> our survey says no <laughs> it's okay if the Abbey's paying for 16 yeah, actors well. but yeah yeah no, 16 no. is is yeah. I don't think I've seen a play with 16 yeah, people in yeah, it yeah. wow that's amazing and and in relation to so I mean ego is the big thing for you if you see somebody with an ego that's kind of your allergic reaction kicks in yeah yeah I don't mind having someone having confidence but just ego just the, the director or the producer has to be champion the project you know yeah, yeah. And, and would you say you know out of the, the commissioning body the director and the producer which one you'd say tends to have the can tend to have the most negative or positive influence on the process from a playwright's point of view? Oh, yeah, I would say the director. That was my own. Okay. Yeah. Producer just wants to make money. Yeah. Right? Director cares about the vision and the the integrity of the piece. So they can really, they can make or break it. Yeah, and that's why producers will tend to work with the same directors. And you tend to work with the same people because, you know, uh, I had a great experience when Enda Walsh invited me to see a new play of his that he hadn't produced yet with Killian Murphy in the National Theatre in London. And that was the best experience of my theatrical life from a learning point of view because mm. one of the greatest playwrights of this generation invited me to see a play that never been performed before with Killian Murphy. Mm. And then he asked me at the end of the performance, it's about 20 people there, he said, what do you think? Of this wow. piece. Because I was the only person who was going to give him a real honest answer. Yeah. And then I went, wow, okay. What a, what a, what, it was incredible. Yeah. I told him what I liked about the play. I told him what I didn't like about the play. But I wasn't worried that was this going to end my relationship with. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. just thought, yeah, that was an experience. What a, to, to give a young playwright an opportunity to see an acting masterclass in Killian Murphy and one of Enda Walsh's yeah. new pieces in London in a rehearsal room. Just amazing. Incredible experience. Amazing. Yeah, in a rehearsal room? Yeah. Oh, well, wow. Yeah, so with the producers from Broadway, yeah. From, yeah. From, from from the Galway Arts Sorry, Festival. I thought this was opening night. This no, was, this, this was, was just in a closed rehearsal right, room with okay. producers and myself. It, it's, yeah, I, only I, met mean, him, I only met him out the night before in a pub. That's amazing. Yeah. So that brings us on to the good bosses. So we, we know who the bosses are, the commissioners, the directors, the producers. What, what for you makes somebody that you really want to work with and for in that situation? You know, what really makes you kind of go, I think I can work with this person. And, and, and what makes the success of that relationship? Yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few things. Um, work ethic for me, time and time again people who will uh, go to the trenches with you okay take the highs and the lows and uh, I have to show I I have to see commitment first of all I have to know that this person is committed to make this this happen if this person is going to go on this journey with me because that's what it is it's a journey whatever it's three months six months nine months we really have to focus on okay what's the plan I'm, I'm a stickler for detail my father installed it in me can't take out for chance never things happen how do we deal with that that's a different story you know yeah I'm a, I'm a detailed man yeah I plan everything to perfection you know and I'm really my dad comes from a business background and he installed his way of thinking into my world in the arts world yeah you know why do you think that's me do you think that's why you know as I say a young lad like you do you think that's why you've been so successful? Because you have that business mind behind you as well. Yeah, no, he came into me. You know, I would come into my show and say with a red pen. It was there was a running joke one time. He had this red pen, like if he's going through reports and stuff like that. He'd be yeah. like, "That was awful. Why was that?" Not knowing anything about the world of art, just knowing what he what he what he what he was seeing from reaction of people, and he was always pushing me more to 
the comedy route because people just want to laugh people want to be entertained yeah the history he loves history so that was so yeah he was coming to me from a why are you going to take that contract on you know mm. how many errors is that going to so usually I t- could take a contract and for the amount of errors that I put into it, it's not worth the, the payment mm. so he kind of changed my mind and focus on you know value what's, value. what's the value what's the value yeah. And as an artist, I say time and time again, they don't value their own, um, their yeah. own work, uh, you know, or what exactly. they're actually worth to a project. Yeah. Um, but it's about people's commitment and impressions. Impressions are really big on me. First impressions are huge. Yeah. Some people think I can be a bit off with people, but first impressions, um, prime example, I was at a party recently and... Uh, I didn't want someone to introduce me as an artist or whatever it was. Just how do you know them? I said, Oh, I said I I said I work in logistics, I said. Um and That's a broad uh Yeah. <laughs> uh, the person's perspective on me changed when they found out I was a commissioned screenwriter. Right. And they said, I'd like to reintroduce myself to you. And I went, No. I'd be very cold with that, like I'm they wanted to Re- start so again. We, we, yeah, start again. In a sense. Can you pretend you didn't meet me? I had an inkling about this person. I had an inkling That's about this person. That's a strange person. one, isn't yeah. it? But in the arts, it's a strange world. But Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I always find it... I always have to build... When they found out there was something they could gain, they wanted a do-over. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's kind of not possible. No, of course. <laughs> But there is only one first impression. But the other is, don't forget, you can have a bad first impression as they were together down the tracks. Yeah. yeah. Um, another great thing is, I don't. we don't have to like each other to work together. That's yeah. what I think is ridiculous. Another great producer gave me a great piece of advice. He said, actors have egos. Deal with it and manage it. Hmm. If they're delivering on stage, who cares? Yeah. Once it's not, once you can manage that. Because all artists have egos. I was like, okay. So if an actor is performing for you and getting great reviews and the audience love them, well, well, handle that. Yeah, yeah. Because some people are incredible to work for. Some people have demands and lists. So I get it now. It's about, for me, it's about learning about all aspects from the page to the stage. That yeah. Really now. And that's why I like to submerge myself in everything. I like to know yeah. all aspects of theatre and film with film it's a learning curve for me I'm working with an amazing screenwriter who's teaching me and educating me a lot yeah so yeah. this is a this is just a process yeah with theatre I know figures prices breakdowns structures yeah. venues from, from, from working with great people film this is going to be an interesting journey for me for the next five years this is the new new college course that you're doing <laughs> yeah because I'm really interested in breakdowns tax breaks yeah. why people invest um, yeah. I'm researching now every film that's been funded in this country since 1990 yeah so I'm like like that's at the level of detail now I'm going, every Irish film that's ever been made who's been attached where have they gone one from like um, from the people from Braveheart where have they gone on now to yeah, yeah. I'm literally just going after numbers right now and figures and my office is just you know figures numbers producers films breakdowns box it from what I made from what they didn't make from what grants they got my focus now has changed at that level because I'm going into this new this film the, world. This is the business of show. Exactly. Um, so that's that's fascinating. I'm you know I'm excited by it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we t- you know, so what makes a bad boss in this situation? Ego. What makes a good boss? Planning detail, which you're talking about there. Um, commitment to the project, commitment to the job, um, commitment to the people around you, and then the first impressions. You know. Yeah. Um, and what makes know, a great boss? Sorry, there is 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 let people you know, flourish in their chosen talent. Yeah. This is what Stephen does and let Stephen fly at it. And Stephen, you come back to me in six months' time, with, you know what I mean? Because you're going to absolutely smash this. And there's this idea of, um, you know, and I think there's a real problem with laziness these days. Attention to detail. Oh, you know. I kind of get what you mean, but explain it a little bit more. What, what, like where have you seen that come uh, up? I'll tell you now, uh, I saw my friends, a lot of friends on pubs, publicans and nightclubs. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to get staff? Yeah. Um, like my friend, my 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 mates are really struggling to get good staff, to get good people, you know. Please and thank you. Do you get me? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're struggling, so they've got a great business. 
Why do you think that is? What? Why do Why do you think they're well, struggling to get that? First thing is they need to pay more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's okay. call a spade a spade. Yeah. If pay for the, quality. Yeah. Value. Let's go back to the value. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, but I always see. I I look at the hospitality world and the entertainment world together in a sense. I always okay, think yeah. the bar is a show, the bar is a stage. You know. Okay. So you know, um, I do have an investment in 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 the hospitality. You know, in in in, in certain pubs. You yeah. Know? So like, I do have a valued interest in that because yeah, I've invested yeah. in that you know because it's good as an artist to invest in other projects outside of the arts world you know yeah yeah for your future yeah okay hedging your bets on other things exactly yeah, absolutely yeah. okay yeah it's it's been a fascinating conversation I mean I've, I've loved every every minute of this uh, as I always do with our conversations ah, Stephen, David look. what advice would you give you know your younger self or somebody starting off now what advice would you give them if they're interested in the in the arts world, if they're interested in becoming a, a great writer? First thing is you have to believe in what you're selling. Or you could call it the pitch. Yeah. Like you're pitching a new business. You have to believe in what you're selling. Because the only person who's going to be championing your project is you. Yeah. And that's no matter what your producer, director, who you're getting funding from, if you don't believe in what you're selling, there is no point. If you don't think this idea is going to be breathtaking, there's a demand for audience to see this, give up right now. Scratch the idea, come up and learn. You Now, don't get me wrong. Six months down the line, you go, oh, God, I can't believe I was trying to sell that turkey, you know? Yeah. But you have to believe in what you're selling. Two is write every day. If it's a paragraph, two lines, three lines. There is no excuses in 24 hours in a day um, to write something down. Whether it's your tablet, your laptop, or pen and paper, mm. write something down every day. Third piece of advice is read something every day. Newspaper, online article, book. Mix it up, 10, 12, 13 books. You don't have to read the whole book. Just to different insight. And then fourthly, read opinions that you don't agree with. Too many people surround themselves with people who think the same. And the idea is you need to be challenged. I think that's important. The echo chamber is is a big big problem at the moment, all right. Yeah. People just think the world thinks like them because they don't talk to anybody who doesn't think like them. Yeah. And that's where I read articles about people that I, I don't value their opinion, but I'll still read it. It's interesting to get into that. For a playwright, I mean, you have to do that because oh, you couldn't write other characters. You couldn't write no. You couldn't write in-depth characters because you'd have one hero and then everybody well, else would be dross. The real question I have um, uh, right now, if we go back to playwriting, this new commission, I only started it. It's been in my mind for, for the whole year, but like literally started literally writing today. Will Brexit be an issue in my play because the pub is set in London? Right. And I don't know. That's a real stickler for me right now as a playwright. Should Brexit be... A, like? I'm talking about running commentary. I love politics, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So, like... I act like yeah politics is fant- fascinating for me um, but do I have Brexit in the background or not that's one yeah, th- that was yeah, the question yeah. that's I have it today I'm an oh Brexit question mark it's too yeah. easy but it could be a good running theme or not so I don't know yeah yeah or it could, or, or it could be when Cameron was going to do the um, when the uh, when Cameron put it up for a vote yeah. about Brexit I could have just have it before that and then the joke being, we know what's coming down the tracks. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that could work well. What do you think about this? You know what Cameron's yeah, saying? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Boris yeah. saying this and Nigel Farage saying this. But it'll be your, the Brexit period from 16 to before this general election. Okay. Because yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of material there. Yeah. Or just before uh, the vote for should the, they stay mm. with David Cameron. That's in, their two interesting time frames. But, that's just from my own focus as a yeah. writer. I'm, I'm questioning. But you have to think that. But that. But that's what you're reading. Other opinions. You're reading other things. You have to. You have yeah. to think of these things. It's been an absolutely fantastic talk. Thanks always a million for giving me the time, David. I know I've been chasing you for a while no, for no, this, but I pleasure, knew it would be a good one. <laughs> always a pleasure. No, so brilliant stuff, David Gilner, uh, playwright. Where can people find more from you? Um, oh, uh, I'm Irish playwright on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, David Gilner on Facebook or just send me a pigeon much better than Twitter different type of tweet thanks very much David no problem Steve thanks to David for that wonderful conversation I think you'll agree that his lessons are applicable to all industries 
I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I am forever grateful to my guests who are so generous with their time and energy. If you, the listener, gets value from these conversations, all the better. I love doing this and I love that you listen. It means a huge amount to me that you give me your ears for one hour a month. The best Christmas gift you could give me would be to share this with all your friends. And if you are feeling like a real secret Santa, then subscribe and give it a five-star rating on iTunes. As usual, if you have a guest you'd like to hear from or you have some comment on this show, please drop me a mail at stephen at stephennaughton.com. Of course, you can find more from me on Instagram at the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast and I'll be back next month with another Good Boss Bad Boss guest. Until then, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.